You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome all you wiretappers out there. I'm back here in the Gangland Wire studio. I have on the line Jeffrey Sussman. Now, Jeffrey Sussman is a very prolific author, and most importantly, he has written a book titled Big Apple Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in New York. And we know you guys all like to hear about the mob in New York. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our m- most colorful mobster I think I've ever heard of outside of John Gotti maybe is uh, is Mr. Scarpa, Greg Scarpa. So welcome, Jeffrey. Okay, well... Uh, we had a little, folks, uh, behind the scenes, we had a little problem with the uh, Internet, but it seems to be working now. Uh, this is much better. We won't have a YouTube video of this. I, other than I have one without images, I could do that, I guess. Uh, uh, Jeffrey, uh, before we get started talking about the uh, mob book, tell me a little bit about you uh, and, and where you came from. You Did you train in uh, uh, the newspaper business? Were you a reporter? How did, how did you get started writing? I started writing uh, simply because I wanted to write. Um, I, I, I worked for many, many years in, uh, in uh, public relations writing uh, for clients, and, and at the same time I was freelancing for newspapers and magazines, writing various articles. And I, after a while I realized that I, I wanted to start writing books. And uh, you know, I, I started out with opportunities that came my way, so initially I was writing a uh, health and fitness books, and, and then uh, marketing and PR books. But um, my, my, I always had an interest in uh, boxing and the mob, and so I wrote a lot of uh, uh, books about uh, uh, boxing, and then uh, uh, I wrote a, a book about the mob before this one. It was called uh, Boxing in the Mob, the Notorious History of the Sweet Science, about how uh, throughout the 20th century the mob had controlled most of the most famous boxing matches in history. And then I also decided to do a book on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the mob itself. And, and my interest was sparked uh, uh, because when I was uh, 12 years old, my father introduced me to an uncle of his uh, whose name was Irving. I'd never met the man before. And uh, uh, after the, uh, I, I met him, I asked my father who he was and, and, and what he did. And he said that during Prohibition, Irving was a bootlegger and had been indicted for the murder, but never tried for the murder of a famous gangster named Dutch Schultz. And, and uh, so that was my first uh, interest in it. And then um, my father owned uh, two uh, small uh, garment manufacturing facilities, and I used to work for him on Saturdays. And uh, most of the work was fairly menial, but uh, one of the jobs that I had was carrying up heavy bolts of cloth from the basement to what was called a cutter's table, where the uh, rolls of cloth would be put out and the cutter would put dress patterns on and cut them. So one day I'm coming up from the basement and I hear my father uh, and another man uh, yelling uh, very vociferously at one another. And I look over at my father and spittle is coming out of his mouth and his fists are clenched. My father had been an amateur boxer when he was young, and, and I, it looked like he was about to punch this guy. And he, he said to the guy, get the hell out of here. And the guy pointed his index finger at my father like a gun, and, and then uh, 
you know, uh, arched his thumb a couple of times and, and said, we're going to get you, you son of a bitch, and left. And, and then uh, after the workday was over and I was, my father was driving us home, I, I said, what was that all about? And he said, that was a notorious gangster named Johnny Dio, who was uh, a member of the Teamsters Union, and he was trying to uh, unionize uh, my father's workers. And, and, and the workers voted against unionization because it, it was a terrible illegal union, and they would have wound up getting less pay than my father was paying them. And uh, my father kind of laughingly said that he half expected bullets to come flying through our living room window. Anyway, my, my mother had a cousin who was a, a, a very interesting guy who was a, uh, a lawyer but had been involved uh, in, in, in various deals with, with, with mobsters and knew some of these people. And he was able to negotiate a deal uh, for my father whereby my father would not have to uh, uh, accept the union, but he would have to deal with uh, uh, the, uh, the, the mob's trucking company. And uh, he was able to negotiate a deal that wasn't too onerous for my father. But uh, my father died two years later of cancer, and he had a, a weak partner. And the mob kept taking uh, more and more of the business by uh, upping the rates uh, of, of the trucking company uh, and, and, until it became so onerous that uh, the mob eventually took over the business. And then what they did is they, they bought a lot of uh, material on credit, and then uh, they would sell uh, finished products uh, to department stores at a very steep discount, but never paying their creditors. And when they couldn't get credit anymore, they burnt down the factory uh, for the insurance money. Uh, so that was another uh, 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 interest that sparked my interest in the mob. And then uh, the third thing was, um, in, in the early 1990s, uh, a, a friend of mine who was a doctor uh, was telling me about... Um, his history, he had, uh, his father had controlled all the gambling in New York for a gangster named Frank Costello, who was the, considered the prime minister of the underworld. And he told me about, uh, you know, his associations with his father and, 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 and with Frank Costello and how he had been invited to kind of join the mob, but it was not something that he wanted to do. He really wanted to be a doctor. And, and, and he followed that course. But he told me some very interesting stories. So, so those events uh, sparked my interest ultimately in deciding to write uh, a book called uh, Big Apple Gangsters, The Rise and Decline of the Mob in New York. And, and I have a, a number of friends who are um, former uh, New York City detectives who worked in the organized crime area. And, and they told me some fabulous stories. And they also introduced me uh, to some people who uh, were in the mob and, and who they used as informants uh, to, to get information. And some of these people spoke to me off the record and, and, and gave me some very interesting stories, all of which I was able to use uh, in, 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 the, in this book. And, and, and then about uh, 20 years ago, I was uh, invited to, uh, to write a documentary film called Sucked into the Mob, and, and, which never came to be because they couldn't uh, raise all the money that they needed for it. But I interviewed two fascinating uh, men. One was a, uh, uh, a New York City detective named Ralph Salerno, who was in charge of the organized crime strike force in New York. 
and and the other was a man named uh, Remy Francis Francis who worked for the Queens District Attorney's Office, and and he was on the uh, John Gotti squad. Uh, that was the person he went after all the time, and, and and I had hours and hours of taped conversations with these people. So all of that uh, provided me w- with. Uh, Unique information. A lot of the information in my book has never been reported anyplace else, and and so I was very excited to be able to get this information to write about it and then uh, let people know about it. Interesting. Yeah, I tell you what, that Ralph Salerno, he he is the real deal. I uh, we once had a you know I was a member of the intelligence unit here in Kansas City, and we had these what they called by zone meetings, and I met some guys from New York that uh, worked intelligence, and and I had read Ralph Salerno's book by that point in time. And I've I've lost the name of it, but uh, uh, you may know it. Uh, it is a really you know it's one of the early you know overviews of the mob that uh, really competently written, uh, written and and well researched and everything by a guy who there and was there and and this guy. <laughs> I asked him about Ralph Salerno. He said, oh, he said, all he ever does is sit back and read reports. Well, I, I kind of do better than that, but typical kind of cops. That, right. <laughs> and don't, we don't like each other to get any uh, notoriety or anything. Well, yeah, th- 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 that's probably true. And, th- and then I, uh, I I got to interview um, uh, another cop uh, named uh, Tommy Dades and a prosecutor named Michael uh, Vecchione, and they were the two men who uncovered and wound up providing evidence and prose- prosecution evidence for the indictment and trial of, of these two guys known as the Mafia Cops. Oh, interesting. That's that's a hell of a story there. I, could, I read that. I tell you what, Jeffrey, I read that, and I was like, I was so embarrassed to be a cop. It's like these guys came on to be, you know, they were criminals who somehow figured out a way to get on the police department. I noticed one of them even got into working organized crime intelligence. They were, that was amazing. Well, well, it was interesting because one of my friends, who's a retired organized crime uh, uh, detective in, in, in New York, at one point he was the boss of Steve Caracapa, who was the, um, one of the mafia cops. And he said, you never would have known it. I mean, this guy came across as the most straight-laced person in the world. He was very hardworking. He never did or said anything that would lead you to believe that he was a criminal. And he said it wasn't until after these guys retired and moved to Las Vegas that the information began to circulate about who they really were and what they had been doing. I tell you what, you have a certainly have a rich history of organized <laughs> crime in, in New York City. It was like it's kind of like Chicago was the same way. It was like the mafia, the the politicians, uh, the businessmen. It was like everybody was in bed together, and the mafia was in was somehow had inserted themselves into everything, just like your your father's business like that. Exactly. And, and in the garment industry. So it's just amazing what they can do. And and then they run the, the classic bust out. You know, I saw a couple of those here, but but not you know, it's just uh just a classic, you know, get involved with the business, take it over and then sell everything uh, at a discount to get the cash money in and don't pay any bills and then you don't need, they don't even declare bankruptcy. They just close down and, and burn it down for the insurers. That's uh, that was a heck of a yeah, story. Yeah, you know, I'm glad my father didn't live to see that. It, it, would, it would have broken his heart. Oh, really? 
So, you know, I've got a quick question. I did a story on uh, uh, on a little bit about the mob and, and uh, uh, what was the great big, uh, huge big man's name from Italy uh, that was a, a boxer for a while uh, during the Oni Madden times. Uh, I think oh, Oni um, Madden maybe even was his man. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, 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 Primo Carnera. Primo Carnera. Uh, that's a heck of a story there. Well, yeah, I have a whole chapter about that in my previous book, Boxing and the Mob. One of the things about that that was very interesting is, um, I don't know if you saw the movie Cinderella Man or not, um, but, 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 yeah, but it, pre- it prevented a very dishonest account of uh, Max Baer, because um, I did a lot of research into uh, that fight, and, and also I interviewed uh, uh, Max Baer's son, Max Baer Jr., when when Max Baer beat um, uh, Primo Carnera for the heavyweight title in 1935, he, he had knocked him down 11 times in the ring, and he had some broken ribs, he had a, a broken bone in his uh, arm, and he had a broken jaw. And the mob completely dropped him. They, they felt he wasn't worth anything to them. And Max Baer paid every one of his hospital bills. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, after that got uh, Primo Carnera a job as a professional wrestler because he was completely broke. The mob had stolen all of his money. And, and, and Primo Carnera was then able to regain all the money that he should have uh, gotten from boxing. So, so Ma- Max Spear was actually a very uh, kind, generous man, but, but the movie presented him uh, as, as totally opposite from that. Hmm. I remember a movie called Requiem for a Heavyweight, I believe, with Jackie Gleason, and uh, that was kind of a little bit like that. It was about this former boxer. Um, uh, I think Anthony right. Quinn played the former boxer who was now a wrestler and how he had he'd sunk to this level of being almost like a cartoon buffoonie kind of a character, and he'd have been a great boxer at one time. So right. That's, yeah, that, uh, there's that a was lo- based on, 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 on Primo Carnera. Uh, you know that's kind of what I figured when I when I did that show on uh, on the boxing and and uh, him in particular. God, he was huge. Yeah. Oh my God, I saw that picture of him. And he was yeah, he, huge. he was one of the, the biggest. Uh, I think the, the largest heavyweight boxer of all time. I think he was six foot seven. Um, and, and 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 if you ever look at uh, you know you know Max Bear was I think six two or six three. And and if you look at that fight on YouTube, where where you can see it, Max Spear looks tiny next next to Primo Carnera. Carnera was just so enormous. <laughs> he was. So Jeffrey, uh, we talked about this before, and I kind of mentioned maybe about Carlo Gambino. I never done him, but you mentioned uh, uh, Scarpa, and you know I thought, man, that is that is a heck of a story. And you've got a whole chapter in there on Greg Scarpa, and, and uh, you know starting off with. That whole deal about going down the Mississippi burning, speaking of uh, art imitating life or art taking things from real life, the whole Mississippi burning movie where they uh, – only they didn't really use the mob guy. They used a, a kind of a uh, <laughs> what is it? Am rambunctious FBI. Yeah, sort of like a rogue FBI agent that Gene Hackman played. Right. Right. Yeah, and that was base, basically based on uh, what he did down there. Uh, but even before that, how did they how did they first turn Scarpa? Uh, well, uh, uh, Scarpa, um, you know, he was known as the Grim Reaper because uh, the, the FBI estimated that he had killed between eighty and a hundred people, and 
Uh, Scarpa was a very intelligent man, and he knew they, they didn't really have to turn him. Uh, uh, you know, often they have to threaten someone in order to flip them, but, but, but they didn't have to threaten him. They just had to promise him immunity uh, fr- from his crimes, uh, not murder, but everything below murder. And, and, and he saw that as an opportunity to, to just continue working, doing what he was doing, and, 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 and the FBI gave him carte blanche to, to, to just do it. Uh, I mean, so much so that, that his... Uh, his FBI handler uh, ultimately was indicted, but he was found innocent. I mean, they, they, they couldn't prove anything against him, but, but, but it caused a big scandal within the FBI when all of this came out. Well, I remember reading about that. Was that that Lynn DeVecchio, yes. I believe was yes. his name? I, I noticed he was in Fear City, but he didn't, he didn't play a big part. They didn't interview him very much on that most recent uh, uh, documentary on the uh, – Gotti investigation. Uh, I just wonder if he was maybe uh, uh, he didn't a little bit persona non grata with his fellow FBI agents. Or uh, do you know about that? Story? But, uh, I I just know that the you know the FBI was not too happy with him, and and he did go. I believe he did go to trial, but uh, ultimately they decided there wasn't sufficient evidence to to uh, to, to warrant a, a a conviction, and I think they dropped him. Uh, dropped it for that reason, uh, and and he may have been, you know, technically he may have been innocent, um, uh, you, you know, because the FBI u- uses confidential informants all the time, and and it, and it's just a matter of of how long or short the leash is that they give that person, yeah. and and so that, and so there was some discrepancy, you know, is he on a long leash or a short leash, and 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 that's what they couldn't really figure out. That's a dangerous game when you play that, and I've played that. And those guys, I tell you what, they're constantly trying to use their law enforcement control all the time, constantly trying to use you to compromise you in some manner. It's a, it's a battle for with most of them, the professional kind of informers like that, that, that you don't really have a big hammer on top of. You just kind of cooper- depend on their cooperation and the, their ego and 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 it's a dance that you play, and and I know that uh, this one guy he used to offer me. So, well, I said, you know, I, I got some nice watches here. Of course, I know that they were stolen. He, one time, I said somebody had a nice. I said, that's a cool leather coat. He said, you want one? I got three or four more just like it here, all brand new. I said, no, dude, I don't want your coat. <laughs> We get in a car, and, and he said, I, I said uh, something about stolen cars. He said, well, he said he kind of looked down at his car, and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just constantly trying to get you to, to compromise you in some manner. It was amazing. Uh, oh, sure, be, be, because w- w- once you start taking gifts from them, they have you. Yep. Yep, they own you, that's for sure. I never took anything from him. He, uh, there was an FBI agent here locally that did take one of those watches I found out later. I was I was done with him, and, and I, uh, I got hold of a DEA agent, and he met with him, and he said, I don't want anything to do with that guy. And and then he, he, he was in some trouble, and I just called over to the Bureau, and I said, you know, you might want to use this guy, and here's his contacts. Uh, he, he's, he's got a case, and he needs to work it off, and they, they assigned somebody to work him, and, and before that deal was over, why that guy was in trouble because they came back around and interviewed me about sure. him and, and, asked him, and asked me, said, you know, did, uh, do you know anything about this relationship? Do you know anything about him giving him a watch? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I said, you know, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> 
And, and all of a sudden, that FBI's it was transferred. I'll bet he was. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's a constant battle. You know, I could I could appreciate Mr. DeVecchio. You're you're you want to make a case. You want to make the big one, and they dangle that stuff out there. And it's uh, but yet you know they they want something in return. They always want something in return. Of course, they're, they're not doing it out of out of friendship. That's for sure. <laughs> really so let's let's talk about that deal down in uh, mississippi uh, that, 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 that was interesting that. because you know in 1964 the clan uh, uh murdered these three uh civil rights workers uh, uh michael schwerner andrew goodman and uh uh cheney i forgot cheney's first name um and uh, they couldn't solve the case but they, because uh greg scarper was already working as an FBI informant, they figured we might as well use him uh, for this, but we're never going to admit it. Um, and, and they gave him $100,000, and uh, I think they even gave him a, a pistol, uh, and, and they sent him to Mississippi. They, they had a, a, a suspect, and, and uh, uh, Scarper asked around some questions, uh, and, 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 and he figured that this guy was you know, involved. He, he would be able to provide all the answers. He was a member of the Klan. His name was Lawrence Bird, and uh, he worked uh, in, in an appliance store. And uh, Greg uh, Scarpa went into the appliance store and bought a television and asked Bird to carry it out to his car, uh, help him carry it out to his car. And once he did that, uh, Scarpa pulled a gun on him, told him to get into the car, and, and he drove him to a deserted army base where he started threatening him to give up information uh, about the three dead uh, civil rights workers, and he wouldn't. So he beat him up pretty badly, and he still wouldn't give the information. So then he pulled down the guy's pants and his underpants, and he pulled out a razor, and he said, you have five seconds to give me the information I want, or I'm going to castrate you. And the guy gave up the information mm. immediately. And, 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 wow. and, and, and Scarpa was able to report that to the FBI, and they paid him the $100,000. So, so then they asked him... To, to solve another case of a man named uh, Vernon Dammer, who was uh, w- with the NAACP in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And, and he solved that case, too. But the FBI didn't, wouldn't pay him $100,000 for that, so he got really pissed off at them and refused to operate with them for, 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 for a number of months because he felt they, they, they owed him money and he wouldn't, they wouldn't pay him, so he wasn't going to help them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I tell you, that's a heck of a story. They, uh, when J. Edgar Hoover told them they wanted that solved, they took that seriously. They, they, they sure did. And what was interesting is, is, you know, when they made the movie Mississippi Burning, there's no mention of the mob helping them. You know, it's this kind of ro- roguish uh, FBI agent played by Gene yeah. Hackman who, who, who solves the case, but the FBI wasn't able to solve it. Yeah, interesting. Well... So Mr. Scarpa goes back up to New York, of course, is where he uh, operates. What? Uh, tell me a little bit about his early, you know, what was his stick within the, the mob? What, what what kind of crimes was he involved well, well, in? Well, originally he started out as a, as a, a collector, um, you know, for, uh, for loan sharks within the mob. And, and he was a big guy, and he was strong, and he was very tough, and— uh, he would, uh, you know, beat people up if, if they didn't uh, cooperate with him. And, and, and he could be very, very intimidating. Um, and um, the, uh, it, w- it was the uh, uh, Profaci family 
and and uh, Profaci, by the way, was known as the olive oil king uh, because that was his legitimate business was the olive oil business. And um, uh, Scarpa was very loyal uh, uh, to, to Profaci and 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 proved very very valuable. Uh, he he you know went from collecting to. to uh, to uh, Shylocking on his own, uh, uh, he, he he did uh, burglaries. Uh, he 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 fenced things. Um, he 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 pretty much did whatever he could uh, to, uh, to prove himself, and and he became a made man, and um, he 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 was elevated w- w- within the family, and um, he made a lot of money. Uh, he he had apartments and homes all over the place. He he had an apartment on um, Sutton Place. In, in Manhattan, which is one of the ritziest uh, little streets in, in all of Manhattan, he, he had a home in Florida. He, he had a, a, a couple of homes in, in, in Brooklyn where he lived. Um, he, he, uh, he he had beautiful girlfriends. Uh, one of his girlfriends, who I, I believe he illegally married her, because I think he was already married to someone, was uh, former uh, Miss Israel uh, from, from the uh, Miss Universe contest. Um, and uh, I, I had a, uh, a fellow I knew who was a uh, he, he was both a criminal defense attorney, but he started out actually working in the Justice Department when Robert Kennedy was uh, was Attorney General. His name was Jay Goldberg, and, and he defended a lot of uh, uh, mobsters. and And he knew uh, Greg Scarpa very well. He, he had had dinner with him and 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 and, and this uh, Miss Israel uh, about fifteen times. And he said Greg Scarper was a very intelligent guy. He could speak authoritatively on finance, on politics, uh, on world affairs, on banking. He, he seemed to know everything. And he was extremely well-dressed and very, very well-mannered. And, 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 and he said he wore this beautiful uh, black toupee. But he said when he would go back to Brooklyn and start killing people, he would first take off the toupee. He never wanted to wear a toupee when he was committing murder for some reason. <laughs> Crazy, he he was uh, uh, what you know. There's an organization within the mafia, and he was with the Profaci family. But then I can't remember who took that over. Was that uh, Persico? Yes, that, that what happened. Uh, uh, yeah, Persico took it over. Persico was sent to prison, and, and um, a man, and he temporarily appointed a man named Vicar Orina uh, uh, to run it. But Orina decided to take over and become the permanent head of the family, and Scarpa was um uh, oh and, and, and the profaci family ha- had evolved into something then called the colombo family um and um and and or arena was uh, uh, uh taking that over from from persico while persico was in prison so persico ordered the murder of uh, arena and uh scarpa was supposed to carry that out scarpa was very loyal to to persico and um th- there was something called the, the colombo wars and uh, there was a district attorney in Brooklyn at that time named Charles Hines. And when he was interviewed, he said that, I don't care. He said, I hope these guys keep shooting each other as long as they don't miss and hit a civilian. Because as long as they keep killing each other, it means less work for our office. And, and yeah, they, they had a heck of a time in that Colombo War. Uh, <laughs> they, they were killing a lot of yeah, people. I, I, it, they just had a hard time getting the right people they, they, killed. They, they, that's right. I mean, there, there, was, there was one guy, I, I, I forgot his name, uh, and, and Greg Scarpa went out looking for him, and he saw the guy in front of his house putting up Christmas lights uh, uh, at the beginning of December. And 
he was being driven uh, uh, by a young guy, and he was in the back seat with a, I think, an M1 rifle with a, uh, a special sight on it. And he saw this guy, and he pulled the rifle uh, out of the uh, window of the back seat and, and, and shot and killed the guy uh, with, I think, one or two bullets, and then, and then just drove away. And uh, he, he, he was never tried for that murder. Uh, it, it, it was something he allocated to uh, uh, later on uh, in, in a deal with, with, with the government. But, but uh, he, he committed many murders like that and, 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 and seemed to get away with all of them. Hmm. Yeah, he was. Uh, he seemed to have, uh, have a, the magic touch that that he he was out there all the time, but nothing ever happened. And and, and, and he was really uh, he was, very angry about the people he killed. So that he said to an associate about someone he had just killed that he wanted to dig him up and shoot him again, just because he hated him so much. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Oh, that that guy that he shot was uh, Fusero, uh, out hanging his Christmas lights in front of his house, a guy named uh, right. Fusero. Uh, he's also got involved with that uh, while Bill uh, Cotolo right. uh, was involved with that whole thing. That that was quite a, that third Colombo War. There was a lot of shooting going on during that time. Now he had he he had a crew, I would assume, and did they have a social club where he hang? Yeah, I, I believe. Oddly enough, his social club was called the Wimpy Boys Club. Oh yeah, that's and right. and and why they would call it Wimpy, you know, which means kind of weak and 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 submissive. Uh, I, I I don't know why they would do that. Uh, it, it always struck me as odd that they would have a social club uh, called the Wimpy Boys Club. <laughs> So uh, later on in his life, he's uh, he gets AIDS later on, and, and uh, he's but the government it finally I think uh, at some point in time in the early nineties, their government's just about done with him. Well, what, what what happened is you know for some reason this guy had a habit of eating aspirins like they were peanuts, and um, the aspirins eventually. Uh, dug holes in his stomach, so, so he had some ulcers, and and he went into the hospital, uh, hospital in Brooklyn called Victory Hospital, uh, to have his stomach patched up and part of it removed, and um, they told him he would need a blood transfusion, and it was during the AIDS epidemic, and uh, he said he didn't want to take uh, any blood from anyone in the public because he did he was frightened of getting AIDS, he demanded that he get transfusions. Uh, from members of his crew, and, and he had this one uh, a guy in his crew um, who was a, a, a weightlifter and injected himself with steroids and often used dirty needles. So when he got a transfusion from this guy, he developed HIV, and and, and eventually he had uh, full-blown AIDS, and and he knew that he was, he, he was going to die from this. But uh, w- one day he was... Uh, living with, uh, I, th- I think, this second woman. Her name was Linda Shiro, um, and they had a son, uh, Greg Scarpa Jr., who, who went out and got involved with these two guys who were uh, drug dealers, and uh, they, they took advantage of the son, and the son came back and reported it to Greg, and, and Greg said, well, we're going to go out and find these guys. So they're driving around, and they see these two guys. His son points them out, 
and uh, uh, Greg lowers the window of his car and starts shooting at them. And he kills one of them, but the other one returns fire and, and, and shoots out uh, one of Greg's eyes. So this the son drives Greg home quickly. In, in the meantime, Greg was under house arrest, and he had one of those anklets on that notify the uh, the FBI if he's left his home. <laughs> and he, as soon as he gets home, the phone is ringing. Blood is pouring out of his eye. He lifts up the phone. It's the FBI. They say, you know, we, we just uh, saw that you left your home. What's going on? He said, oh, I just had to go to the drugstore to get a prescription refilled. But everything is fine now. And then he took a bottle of scotch and he poured it into his eye socket, uh, to, oh uh, you know, like an antiseptic, and, and, and then put a towel. His wife gave him a towel uh, uh, to put over the eye, and they drove him to the hospital uh, to deal with the problem. But, you know, here was a guy, he, he, he was a maniac. Uh, you know, he, he's dying of AIDS and he's going out shooting people. You know, he, he, he had been a big husky guy who weighed about. Uh, 230 pounds when he was healthy, and he was down to about 140 pounds, and 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 looked like a, a, a he was skeletal almost, and 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 and, and yeah. he's out you know shooting people and 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 losing an eye. But what what was the uh, he eventually decided to sue the doctor in the hospital because he he said they should have uh, notified him about the dangers of of, of getting uh, AIDS, and. Uh, the uh, he was suing for, for three million dollars, and it, it, it turned out that the jury was prepared to to give him the three million. But he knew he was dying, and he wanted to get the money before he died, so he settled on three hundred thousand dollars. But it turned out that the doctor who he was suing had uh, sedated two of his male patients, and while they were under heavy sedation, the doctor committed sodomy on these two patients. <laughs> So the judge who's hearing this case says, let me get this straight. The, 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 uh, the plaintiff is a hitman for the mob, and the defendant is a doctor who sodomizes his patients. Am I on the right page here? <laughs> <laughs> no innocent parties. There, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I, I tell you a little funny story, guys, out there. Uh, Jeffrey, I, I was suing a used car dealer, and... My uh, client was a formerly would been a convicted felon for something. I don't even remember what. And that other lawyer caught me out in the hallway. He said, well, this is a good one. He said, you got a convicted felon suing a used car dealer here. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I heard an amusing story uh, uh, yesterday from the, someone who called me who was a reader of my book. Um, it, 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 it's not about Scarpa, but it, 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 it's about a man named... Uh, uh, Jimmy Napoli, who, known as Jimmy Knapp, who controlled all the bookies uh, on, on in the Northeast, and and had a social club in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And when uh, uh, Jack Nicholson was preparing to make the movie of uh, Pritzi's Honor, he he went into, um, mm-hmm. according to this man, he he, he went into uh, Jimmy Knapp's social club, and said, uh, you know, would it be all right if I hung around here for about uh, six or seven weeks? So that I can, you know, learn the gestures and the lingo and everything, and I'll pay you ten thousand dollars a week uh, to let me hang out here. And Jimmy Knapp said to him, "Look, I don't want you here. Why don't you find another club to go and hang out at? And if you find it, I'll pay you twenty thousand dollars a week." <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> then I heard uh, 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 another interesting story from uh, 
uh, Jimmy's son, who, who just died uh, a couple of months ago, his name was Tony Napoli, uh, and he at one point was given the, the job of running the, um, of managing the uh, the, the uh, casino at the uh, uh, Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. And uh, Frank Sinatra was gambling there one night, and he wanted a $50,000 line of credit. And uh, according to Jimmy Napoli, uh, he wasn't the manager of the whole place. The whole place was managed by a guy named Carl Cohn. But um, Sinatra wanted a, a line of credit of $50,000, and Carl wouldn't give it to him. So Sinatra flew into a rage and was really pissed off and demanded to see Carl Cohn. Uh, and, and, and so Carl met him in the coffee shop of the Sands Hotel, and um, uh, Sinatra w- was calling him every name in the book, and, and finally Sinatra called him a dirty Jew, and Carl Cohn grabbed Sinatra by his lapels and uh, punched him several times in the face and knocked out his four front teeth. And uh, Jimmy Napoli had to drive Sinatra to an oral surgeon to have his uh, lips sewn up, uh, uh, where it was bleeding. And then when uh, Sinatra got back uh, to the sands, he called uh, Tony Napoli's father, Jimmy Nap, and he said, I want to have Carl Cohn killed. Uh, Jimmy Napoli said to him, you can't. He's one of us. He's protected. And he's also the person who's signing your checks. He, he's, you cannot touch him. Forget about it. And, and, and Sinatra was so furious that he drove his golf cart through the plate glass window of the Sands Hotel before flying back to Beverly Hills. I, 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 but, but apparently, Sinatra was not well-liked uh, um, amongst the working-class people of Las Vegas. And the next day, signs went all up around uh, Las Vegas saying, uh, elect Carl Cohn mayor. You know, in interviewing some of these people, I, I just picked up some wonderful anecdotes that I hadn't ever heard before. Really, I, t- I tell you, it makes me want to uh, get into your book here, folks. You're going to get some stories that you haven't heard before. A lot of stories we've heard before, and and uh, podcasts have come over, went over a lot of these things. But he's got a uh, Jeffrey's got a ton of stories like that, that that you haven't heard before. So I would suggest you go out and get Big Apple Gangsters: The Rise and Decline of the Mob in New York, and and digest that thing. Uh, I started on it myself, and I just I hadn't didn't have time, and you were ready to go, and I was ready to go. So let's uh, uh, let's get this thing done. It, but it's a, it looks like it's a pretty darn good book. Yeah, I, I, I got. Uh, I'm I'm thankful. Um, I've I've gotten some very good reviews from it, and uh, and and I got some you know uh, good endorsements from uh, one from a former New York City organized crime strike force guy, one from a. Um, uh, the, the, the guy who prosecuted the mafia cops uh, gave a terrific endorsement. And uh, this fellow I mentioned to you earlier, uh, Anthony Solano, who did the uh, John Gotti surveillance uh, and, and is an author of mystery books, also gave me a, 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 a terrific endorsement. So I was very pleased with, with, with the reception that the book has gotten thus far think uh, we pretty well done this uh, i appreciate you coming on the show and and i know my fans will appreciate some of these stories about greg scarpa and and what happened to him i, I guess you know one last thing that linda shiro did, did he have a child yes. is there a seem like out there on the social media there's yeah, a, they, a, a woman named scarpa that's yeah. all over the place within social media yeah, they, today. they, they had a daughter true? Okay, is that, I think her name is it. She goes by Scarpa, Linda Scarpa. I, 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 I think, think so. Is, yeah, a lot I, of these, I, I, 
A lot of these guys that are listening, they'll, they've seen her post, and she's all over social yeah, media. I believe that's her. Well, Jeffrey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and uh, I will uh, let you know when I get this put up. That will be terrific, because uh, my publisher w- would, would like to have it. And, and, and as soon as you get it up, if you send me a link, I'll, I'll send a link I'll to my it. publisher. All right. Jeffrey, thanks a lot. Thank okay. you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Well, folks, thank you for listening and all your nice comments on the Apple Podcast Reviews, plus your nice comments on my YouTube channel, where I often put up the uh, at least the Zoom interviews so you can see what my guests look like uh, in real life. Uh, Also on our Facebook group, Gangland Wire Podcast, I, uh, I see a lot of really good compliments on that. I've got some great people that help put up really good content, so if you want more Mob information that you can shake a stick at, go to Gangland Wire Podcast Facebook page, or actually it's a group. Remember that if you support the podcast with some donations, you'll get an invite to my live Zoom call, where we'll share stories, answer questions, and in general, have a good time. Don't forget to buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer on Venmo on your Venmo app, or you can go to Gangland Wire, my website, ganglandwire.com, and donate. I have a donate page, and, and each... Uh, podcast that I put up has a pretty lengthy written blog piece about what the subject is, and at the bottom of that page, there's a way to donate. I have some fixed costs, and plus I'm raising some money for my next documentary, which is about the KC mob and the election fraud of 1946. I've already had to hire a film guy to do a couple of my interviews, and I have one more interview to film, plus some uh, I have an artist that I pay to do some illustrations for my movie. If you remember from Brothers Against Brothers or Gangland Wire, I use some illustrations in those. And by the way, you can rent those on Amazon for only $1.99 or $2.99 if you want the HD version. And finally, I have my book, Leaving Vegas, the true story of how FBI wiretaps ended mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. Now, that title is a mouthful. But in that book, you're going to find copies of a lot of the transcripts of the actual wiretaps. And if you get the Kindle version, I took those audios that I got out of the court files and linked them to the book in the proper places. I have an explanation and then the actual audio wiretap, which I think is kind of unusual. So you can go to Amazon and get that book and get it in the Kindle version. Gangland Wire supports the Veterans Administration and their programs that help veterans with PTSD. You can call their hotline at 1-800-873-8255 and push 1. Or go to their website, www.ptsd.va.gov. I hate saying that www. I left it out when I said something about Gangland Wire. You guys all know. I can leave that out. Anyhow, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, listen up next week. I try to put out one a week. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.